This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The title of my message today is, uh, we've just come out of Synod, and uh, during Synod we covered the theme, the next steps, and Pastor Tom encouraged us that we are now in the season where we should step up. And I think the issues that we're facing as a nation, the issues that we're facing as a country, as the church, require us to be courageous to do that. So the title of my message is The Next Steps, Time and Chance. And if you could open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, we're going to start reading from there. And once you get to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, say, Aha. Beautiful hearing pages turning. Aha. Uh-huh. Do we have some ahas? Good. Ecclesiastes on page 1070. That's where you'll find Ecclesiastes 9. Okay. So here's what it says it says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. All of us have moments where preparation meets with opportunity. This moments, these moments are called life-defining moments. Either you seize the opportunity and it catapults you into the destiny that God's called you to. It catapults you from one level to the next level. It catapults you into the things that God's called you to. It catapults you into uh, another office. It catapults you from one form of glory to another form of glory. This is a moment where preparation or the lack of preparation meets with chance, which is opportunity. The NLT version of the Bible says the same scripture in this way. It says, I've observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner does not always win the race, nor the strongest warrior always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy, and those who are educated do not always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Who leads us to be in the right place at the right time? The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. So I believe that it is God that leads us to be in the right place at the right time. It is not a coincidence that you and I can find ourselves in the right place at the right time. I think God gives us opportunities to be in the right place at the right time so we may seize a chance, we may seize an opportunity for his will to be done in our lives. Six years ago, I believe I was in the right place at the right time when I met my wife. I was 35 years old and It's easy to feel at that age you've missed the right time, right place and right time. 
It's easy to feel that God has somehow forgotten you in that place. I want to speak to anyone that is anticipating and awaiting marriage that God leads you to the right place at the right time. That time and chance happen to us all. That it is this same God that led Adam to his right place and right time when he woke up and he saw Eve. It is this same God that led Eliezer to the right place and to the right time to see Rebecca for Isaac. It is this same God that led Ruth to the right place and right time when she gleaned in the field of Boaz. It is this same God that led Esther to the right place and right time for her to find favor with the king. If he can do that and he has a track record of doing that, let me let you know he will lead you to the right place and right time. The only question is, will you see it when it comes? The problem is not with God leading us to the right place and right time. The problem is with the preparation of the vessel to seize the opportunity when the right place and right time comes. Because God does desire to lead us from glory to glory. Let's look at another example, and it was preempted in one of the examples. And this was so, so it came so alive when we're in Israel, and you're, you're standing in that place, and you could see, imagine this battle just in that kind of space. And I want to speak to you about a man who seized the opportunity when time and chance came, and that was David. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel 17. We're going to read from four, verses 4 to 11. And you know the story. This is the story of David and Goliath. And uh, David doesn't go to war. His three brothers go to war. Uh, for Israel against the Philistines. He remains at home. He had been serving Saul at the time, and uh, he had been sent back home. His father says, hey, why don't you take some bread and take some cheese, some supplies to your brothers on the battlefront. And while you're there, uh, find out how your brothers are doing and bring back a report. That's what the father says. So I'm going to jump right ahead to uh, what David found this is a young man walking all the way expecting to find a battle raging and hoping to find a moment where you'd be able to see uh, his brothers, hopefully. Uh, but when he gets there, lo and behold, there's no battle taking place. And this is why. From verse 4, it says, A champion called Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a, and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. And he wore bronze greaves and bronze javelin was swung on his back. His spear graft was like the weaver rod and the iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer was ahead of him. This guy had so much armor, he needed someone else to carry some of it with him. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? 
Choose a man and have him come down with me, come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of Israel were dismayed and terrified. Jump down to verse 25. It says, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David was in earshot. Verse 26 says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David got to his time and chance. Because while everyone else was tales bearing, while everyone else was comparing notes on how big Goliath's toes were and how his speech was more eloquent than the day before's and how scary it sounded and how Goliath had defeated someone else, somewhere else, sometime else, David heard an opportunity. He said, what, 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 what will be done? What will be done for the man who defeats this Philistine? I want to encourage us, do not ignore promptings that you get in your spirit, no matter what situation you face. Do not ignore a holy anger or a holy stirring within you, even if the odds are against you. It's God prompting you for elevation. It's God prompting you for the next steps. Verse 27 says this. It says, they repeated to him what they had been saying, and he told them, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now listen to what happens in verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burnt with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You have come down only to watch the battle. I want to warn you, whenever we get to our place where time and chance meet, where our opportunities are, be careful of Eliab's. They burn opportunities. They burn up at progress. They suffer from PhDs, pull him down syndrome. They hate innovation, hate new ideas. They love average and want to keep everyone at average level. They love keeping people in their place. They love to remind people where they are and their past failures, their limitations, and not what they could be. These are distractors. 
Eliabs are distractors. They distract you from the prize to have you focus on your limitations. Listen to how David responded to Eliabs, to those that distract you. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as they did before. What David said was overheard and was reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Here's how you respond to an alien or to a distractor. You turn away. Turn away from distraction. Because distraction, as we've been taught from this pulpit, leads to destruction. You keep pursuing the opportunity. You ignore distractors. But it wasn't done. There was an even higher office that was willing to keep David from seizing his opportunity. Because when David got to Saul, David said to Saul, let no man lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against that Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. We have been doing this for 40 years. Uh, uh, you are just a young man. You are born free. You, you, you don't understand what it is to be in battle. That man has been a warrior from his youth. Be careful of souls in your life. Because when your opportunity comes, souls plant seeds of doubt. They're because they're doubters themselves. They amplify themselves onto you. He had been sitting for 40 days, doubting, afraid, in terror. Souls remind you why you can't do it. Doubt leads to double-mindedness. And he who's double-minded is unstable in all his ways and will receive nothing from the Lord. So how do you respond to a doubter when time and chance comes because we have them around us? They're there to tell us why we cannot seize the opportunity, why we cannot move to the next step, why we cannot take the next step, why we cannot step up, why we cannot move to the next level. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came and carried a sheep off from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paws of the lion and the paws of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. When doubters come, encourage yourself with past victories. Remind yourself, Ebenezer, this far God has brought you. Do not be silent in your testimony. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Most of us have false humility. We keep our mouths shut and don't testify. Well, there's a principle in the kingdom. 
What you sow is what you reap. If you sow testimony, you will reap more testimony. If you sow silence where God has been good to you, you will reap silence. So at every opportunity where we need to remind ourselves, to encourage ourselves in the Lord, speak testimony. Remind yourself of what God's done. Remind yourself of how faithful he's been to even bring you to this time and chance. Remind yourself that God is the one who brings you to the right place at the right time. And he brings you to the right place at the right time, so, not so that you shrink back, not so he leads you into trouble, but to elevate you, to move you from glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength, that he might show himself strong through you and I. Remember the past, but don't camp there. Use it to propel you forward. Do not be silent in your testimony. We're tired of false humility. Can we have a church that testifies? That's why we bring testimonies here. So that you hear. Because the Bible says we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. There's two things that are powerful. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Now if we're silent, where will salvation come from? David had practiced the art of encouraging himself. The art of man. I remember what it was like to be single and the laughing stock of everyone. But he makes everything beautiful in his time. Because this was not by the will of man, but it was by the will of God. This too shall fall. This too shall pass. Where's your testimony? Where's your record? Is it written down? Do you remind yourself? Because doubters will come and doubters are silenced by your track record. Including your own self-doubt. Listen to this. Verse 38, Saul says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened the sword to his armor and tried to walk, and he had not, for he had not tested them. Excuse me. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. When time and chance come, don't trade your armor for the latest one. God knows how he brought you to this point. Don't fall into the temptation of taking on new armor because of how the enemy looks. Everything that you have been through is armor enough for what you're going to go through. We look at our enemy and we say, man, now we need the latest. Man, now we need to align ourselves with so-and-so. God has brought you this far. How? The armor that got you here 
to the right time and right place is the armor that will get you through to seize your opportunity. David rejected Saul's armor because it was not tested. The armor that you and I have now is the armor of testing. It's been tested, it's been tried. And it's passed. That's why testimonies are important. It's called the armor of trusting in God. It's called the armor of God is faithful. It's called the armor of God's brought us this far. I will not exchange the armor of God for the armor of man. Even though the armor of man looks good. Listen to what happened. Verse 40. It says, then David took his staff in his hand and he chose himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And the sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. You know, standing in that valley of Ella that Pastor Fidelis mentioned, I realized how ridiculous this was. Let me just describe what the valley of Ella looks like. The valley of Ella has got two hills, two mountains, one on either side, one on this side and one on that side. And then there's a valley in between. So the armies of Israel were camped on the left side. I mean, the whole hill. Imagine a whole hill with armies camped. And a whole hill with the Philistines camped on the right-hand side. Goliath would come out from the right-hand side and challenge them. This place echoes. That's how he could speak and they would hear him. Now, imagine what was happening in the camps. They knew what was at stake because Goliath said, whoever loses becomes subject to the other. Word gets round to the Israeli camp that the king has given David go-ahead to face Goliath. If you were in that camp, what would you expect David to come out with? The latest nuclear weapon. The latest technologies from the Chinese, from the whatever, from this and that. But that wasn't tested armor. May have been tested for the Chinese, but it wasn't tested. Can you imagine what went through their minds? They had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And now a little boy walks in the valley and picks up stones. Can you imagine what the conversation was like? What, what would you have been saying to your neighbor? What? what, what? Huh. Is someone going to bring a sword to him? What? Does he, he, he doesn't even have a helmet. What is it? Is he picking stones? Ah, 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 ah. What is it? Ah, ah. Mfano. Ha! Mfano, mapurofito. Huh? What, is he, what, what does he think those stones will do? Huh? Ah, tight, 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 tight. We're going back. Ah, those stories our fathers told us of Egypt. That's Zoka. We're back. Can you imagine what the Philistines were saying? Ha, ha, ha. 
Man, oh my, what? Now these Israelites have lost it. They've sent stone-picking stone boys. Goliath amplifies the thoughts of the Philistines and the Israelites. He says this. So the Philistine came drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a young, ruddy, good-looking youth. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. I'm telling you, it was not just the Philistine cursing David. It was the Israelites who were also cursing David. His own family was cursing him. And the Philistine cursed David by, and, and his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Be careful of Goliaths in your life. Because if the enemy cannot have you by distraction and cannot have you by doubt, he will have you by intimidation. He will try and intimidate you. They intimidate you by what you see, hear, touch, feel, etc. Come to me and I'll show you. I'll feed your flesh and have an army and they have armor bearers and they have heavy artillery. This is not the first time the children of Israel found themselves in a 40-day or 40-year window and they were facing a giant. This is actually a familiar story because in Numbers 14, these same children of Israel came before, went and spied the promised land and came back, ten of them gave a bad report and said, we saw the sons of Anak, Goliath's descendants. And even though the land is good, even though God promised these things, we will not go up and face them. Why? Because we will die by their souls. Have you brought us here, Moses? So that we may die by the swords, by the armor of man? Have you forgotten, Moses, that we ourselves don't have swords? We are not military trained. And the Bible says that they turned back in their hearts. And they started wandering for 40 years. God said this. He responds after Moses pleads for them because God says, I'm going to destroy them. In Numbers 14, God says this. He says, I've pardoned them according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men have seen my glory and my signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice. 
It is dangerous when we forget the glory of the Lord, forget the testimony, forget how faithful he has been to bring us here because of what we see naturally. When we trade in the glory of the Lord for the fear of the armor of man, we trade in our destiny. That's why the Bible says the fear of man will ensnare you and I. He says, these men have seen my glory. These men saw me deliver them without a sword. The Egyptians had swords, chariots, they had the biggest army on earth at the time. And I delivered them without a sword. Why are they asking for swords now? Why do they believe that they need swords to inherit my promise? What I've promised them. If I deliver them out of Egypt without sword, can I not bring them into the promised land without sword? God wants us to realize that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in pulling down strongholds. Neither are they the weapons of man. The weapon that you and I need is to trust him. It says of Joshua and Caleb, God said these two had a different spirit and they would see the promised land. Why? Listen to the way they responded. It says, but Joshua son of Nan and Caleb son of Jephthah, who were amongst these who spied the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of Israel saying, this land you passed through to spy is exceedingly good. The Lord, if the Lord delights in us, then you bring us to this land and give it to us. A land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. No fear the people in the land, for they have become bread to us. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. The armor that you and I need for whatever we face is what Pastor Fideli said. The Lord is with us. It doesn't go by the size of the opposition, the size of the battle, because the Bible says that the battle is the Lord's and not ours. So the, the, real, the real battle is not the one you and I face or see before us. The real battle is here. Will you and I believe him? Will you and I trust him? Will you and I know that God has brought us to the right place at the right time? Not so he may destroy us, but so he may take us through. Ephesians 6 says this, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It doesn't say be strong in your own armor. It doesn't say be strong in the armor of God. It doesn't say be strong in your alliances. It says be strong in the power of the Lord and in the spirit of his might. That's what the Bible says. Our strength is in him. Our trust is in him. Our faith is in him. And it says put on the whole armor of God. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of weakness in heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Then the Bible goes through to outline what the armor of God is. The battle that is in front of you and I is the Lord's. But the battle within is ours. God won't fight that for you. The battle in front of us and the one we face is the Lord's. But the battle within to trust him, to believe him, to take him up on his word, to know that he's with us, is ours. Pastor Tom said this in the 2018 word. He says it is important for us to put a demand on God to flow through us in this season. This requires us to be available for others, outward looking and willing to be used of God. We spend most of our time missing opportunities and blaming God for not bringing us to the right place or the right time. When we are in the right place and the right time, but we have not prepared ourselves. Are you single? Prepare yourself. Are you awaiting God's promise for a business? Prepare yourself. Whatever promise you await God for, prepare yourself. As long as it's not there yet, it's preparation time. It's putting on the whole armor of God. We spend most of our time walking away from situations that are bigger than us. If you can handle the situation you're in, God's probably not in it. But if it's bigger than you and I, God's in it. We do not take the next steps or step up to be used of God in situations that don't seem impossible. Because God is one that makes everything that seem impossible, possible. And when we align ourselves with him, when we step up with courage and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, use me. Here I am, send me. We put ourselves in a place that God's anointing, God's armor can flow through us. And in a place where we can see the supernatural in the natural. In and behalf of others. So to close up this morning, I want to repeat the scripture we opened with. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 says this. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealthy, to the, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. The next step is available. Will we be courageous enough to take it? 
Will we be courageous enough to do what Pastor Tom asked us to do at Synod, to step up? In the face of distractors, doubters, and intimidation, will we step up? There's no guarantees of how the battle will be won, but there's guarantees that it will. There's no guarantees of how God is going to show up, but there's a guarantee that he's with you. There's no guarantees, quite honestly, that you live, but there's certainly guarantees that there's glory beyond the grave in him. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.